Hey there, Empire Babies. You are listening to a sneak peek at part two of our podcast covering the events of January 6th. This is a new Patreon-exclusive podcast we just started, so if you want to hear the full episode and the one we released before it, please go to patreon.com slash empirefiles to sign up. This full episode is nearly two hours long, with really shocking details and analysis about the Capitol riot that I don't think you can get anywhere else. About an hour of the episode is an interview with Brian Becker, host of a podcast called The Socialist Program, which I highly recommend, and we wanted to share a bit of that conversation that I found pretty mind-blowing. On on January 12th, uh, six days afterwards, after the uprising, the Washington Post wrote, a day before rioters stormed Congress, an FBI office in Virginia issued an explicit warning that extremists were preparing to travel to Washington, D.C. to commit violence and war, according to internal documents reviewed by the Washington Post. A situational information report approved for release the day before the U.S. Capitol riot painted a dire portrait of dangerous plans, including individuals sharing a map of the complex's tunnels and possible rally points for would-be conspirators to meet in Kentucky, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, and South Carolina, and head in groups to Washington, D.C. Now, that was beforehand. That's the FBI. They're in touch with all the different police agencies. So how could it be that the Capitol Police, who have 2,300 officers and whose only task is to defend the Capitol building, uh, passed out rules of engagement saying, don't use uh, tear gas, don't use pepper spray, don't certainly use firearms, They had no uh, riot-clad police. Uh, They didn't set up any fencing. They did nothing. And in fact, we now know from the Capitol Police Chief, Stephen Sund, who I happen to have uh, worked with uh, when he was a Metropolitan Police Officer in charge of special operations. We worked with him on different demonstrations over many years, and he's not a hardcore right-winger, but he was the one who fell on his sword and resigned. Uh, He said that he had asked for reinforcements the day before, uh, he had asked the sergeant at arms of the House of Representatives and the and the Senate, both of his uh, superiors, and he had talked to the Department of Defense during the uprising. And while his officers, the ones who were at least fighting and losing the fight, were being you know were succumbing, he asked the Department of Defense for reinforcements, and it was not approved. Now, how can you possibly explain why the capital of the U.S. Congress, the seat of government? at the moment that it's certifying the next president, and when there's all of these warnings are in place, that there's no effort, one, to reinforce the building ahead of time, and no willingness to send reinforcements when they had already lost control. That's inexplicable unless it's explainable by the fact that this was indeed collusion. Yeah, and it's uh, incredible when you say that the reinforcements were not sent during the siege. Uh, the D- Secretary of Defense, um, you know, Christopher Miller, who is a, a this nobody Trump guy who was appointed after the election. You know, everyone sus- suspected or was speculating that when Trump fired Mark Esper after the election it sh- and, and it, uh, appointed this Trump crony nobody, uh, the speculation was, oh, it's so he can finally end the Afghanistan war and, and keep this campaign promise. It looks quite possibly like this was Trump right after he lost the election, knew that he wanted to do something that either involved using the military or having the military stand down to try to change the election results. And so quite possibly uh, that could be what this appointment after the election was about. But when you say that there is this uh, no reinforcements were given, I mean, this is when the Capitol chief of police 
basically called the Pentagon and said, if this is a code red, like we are un- overwhelmed, we're being overrun and members of Congress are in like imminent danger of great bodily harm. And they were basically ignored by the Pentagon for about three hours. That's right. That's right. For three hours. And uh, he asked for reinforcements shortly after 2.20 p.m. Uh, with, in his conversation with the Pentagon. The troops only arrived at 5.45. I mean, you had... Uh, the attackers chanting, Mike, uh, hang Mike Pence, hang Mike Pence, uh, if they had gotten Mike Pence. And we now know from the reports that he, Pence only barely escaped by, by a couple minutes. If wow. they had gotten their hands on him, they would have uh, killed him. Uh, they were also looking for Mitch McConnell. They were looking for Nancy Pelosi. Uh, also, it's very important that people, and this has been underreported, I think, the uh, people who attacked the, demonst- uh, attacked the Capitol Police not only had Uh, metal poles and handcuffs and bear mace and all kinds of weapons with them. They had handcuffs to take hostages. Uh, They had a lot of guns. Here's a a quote uh, from Dennis Hodges. He's an injured Metropolitan Police Department officer. He's the guy, I don't know if you saw the picture, they pulled his uh, face mask and his headgear into the door and his head was caught in between the door. And he said he thought he was going to die. He was bleeding from the mouth. And that battle at the police, that went on for three hours at that one particular entrance. The MPD, not like the Capitol Police, basically did fight there. Here's what Dennis Hodges said about why he didn't pull his gun and shoot the people who he thought were killing him. Quote, I didn't want to be the guy who starts shooting because I knew they had guns. We had been seizing guns all day. And the only reason I could think of that they weren't shooting us was that they were waiting for us to shoot first. And if it became a firefight between a couple hundred officers and a couple thousand demonstrators, we would have lost. I mean, that's pretty remarkable. The police didn't fire their guns because they thought they were outgunned. It's quite amazing. And again, where were the reinforcements? It's amazing that that's just kind of a side note that they were seizing guns all day. I haven't heard that one yet. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, didn't the Capitol Police chief also say that he thought his superiors were involved in the operation, Brian? Yes. Uh, Well, it's it's kind of ambiguous how he presents Mm -hmm. it, but he did it. He did an interview on ABC here in Washington D.C. They uh, they introduced the the segment where they say, and the police chief felt his superiors deliberately uh, did not do that which was necessary to protect the building. And then he goes on to say, I asked the Sergeant at Arms, Paul Irving, and the Senate Sergeant of Arms for reinforcements the day before. And while the thing was happening, again, this was the people in charge of capital defense, and they refused to, to say yes. They wouldn't actually authorize the request. By the way, Paul Irving uh, when he he f- not only resigned, he appears to have fled He's because when the media when the media came to his apartment at the Watergate Hotel a couple hours later, his neighbor said, "Oh, he moved." Then they sent uh, people reporters to his home in Nevada, a property he owns, and the people said, "Oh no, he's gone. We haven't seen him." This is the sergeant at arms for the U.S. House of Representatives, and also all of the warnings that he was receiving the day before. He failed to notify either Nancy Pelosi on the House side and his counterpart in the Senate, the Senate Sergeant of Arms, refused to notify Mitch McConnell. Uh, This was, you know, 
this was an inside job. And I, I do want to just mention to, to you both that um, this was a military-style operation. Some people on the left are minimizing. They're just saying this was a grievance-driven in crowd that impulsively took the Capitol. No, this was, this was a lot of planning. I want to read to you from another story. It just came out yesterday. It's the Associated Press reported on January 15th, 2021. As Donald Trump supporters massed outside the Capitol last week and sang the national anthem, a line of men wearing olive drab helmets and body armor trudged purposefully up the marble stairs in a single file, each man holding the jacket collar of the one ahead. The formation known as Ranger File is standard operating procedure for a combat team that is stacking up to breach a building instantly recognizable to any U.S. soldier or Marine who served in Iraq and Afghanistan. It was a chilling sign that many of the vanguard of the mob that stormed the seat of the Capitol either had military training or were trained by those who did. Uh, also, finally, one more point on this, Robert Glover, the D.C. police commander on the scene at the Capitol, uh, said, uh, we were take we were literally taking 10 15 to 20 minutes to get each stair back that's in front of the western terrace many appeared to be on a mission and they launched what he and the police chief described as a coordinated assault everything they did was in a military fashion glover said he witnessed rioters apparently using hand signs and waving flags to signal positions and describing what he described as a as military formations, they took high positions and talked over wireless communications. Uh, again, if there was all this planning, given the fact that the NSA records all of our conversations, has you know has control over all of our emails, unless it's you know through a, a doubly either end encrypted service, uh, and that the FBI was aware that people were coming to quote go to war in the nation's capital. Uh, it's quite astounding that uh, the, this kind of level of military planning could take place. And again, no planned reinforcements. There's a couple of theories out there about why this was allowed to happen, Brian, and that I want to get into. But first, let's talk about the total paralysis by the government in its response. I, I think that was one of the more stunning aspects of it, because even though you saw this immediate action taken by monopoly tech companies in a coordinated fashion, there was just total silence from all of these uh, U.S. government institutions, zero press conferences for multiple days, no operation from local law enforcement. Then all of a sudden, everything changed a couple days ago. Talk about that. Talk about that initial paralysis and what you think broke that silence. Yes, it was quite stunning. I was, I was amazed. I have to say, as just somebody who's here in Washington, D.C., understands how the government works, how the police work. As Mike said, you know, we, you know, the, the police are very conscious of defending these government buildings, and they're very aggressive about it, that not only did this thing happen and almost succeed, but then there was almost radio silence about anything. As you mentioned, Abby, where was the FBI? Where was the press conference? Where was the National you know, uh, uh, Department of Homeland Security? Uh, almost nothing. And it even took two days for Twitter uh, to suspend Donald Trump and then to suspend him indefinitely because they argued that Trump was using 
Twitter and violating their terms of service by actually organized by organizing uh, riotous, violent attacks against the U.S. government. And uh, and you know, I, I was also I have to say quite astonished that some people on the the progressive side of things mainly focused then on how terrible it was that Trump lost his social media account. And I th- I was thinking like, wow, this guy is the president of the United States. He organized in a seditious, a seditious conspiracy to topple the U.S. Congress at the moment that it was lawfully verifying the election outcome and trying to stop the election outcome. And his only punishment so far is he lost his social media platform. And that's what we're going to complain about. (laughs) Uh, Of course. I mean, it's the same people who've been running cover for him for four years. So I wasn't too surprised, but. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And of course, you know, we should be concerned about high tech companies. They have too much power. They should be made into a public utility. Uh, They've already been censoring people on the left. I mean, I've been involved in uh, like Pivot to Peace, one of the peace groups for peace between U.S. and China. Their Twitter account was suspended for like six weeks for nothing after four tweets. Yeah, the big tech companies have too much power. But again, this was an an unprecedented violent attack against the U.S. government. And for the first days, nothing happened. And why was that? I, I think it was a couple things. I think one, I think the people who were the targets of the insurrection were scared. They knew it was an inside job, but they didn't know how far up and how wide the conspiracy was. They were kind of looking over their shoulder. Uh, Secondly, uh, I think there was a lot of fear, certainly within the Republican Party, of saying anything against Donald Trump. And I think most of the people in law enforcement are very right-wing and have been sympathizing with Trump. So that sort of was a deterrent for them to speak out. Um, I think that the, uh, I think that there was a, a sense that that because it was un- an unprecedented event that nobody knew if there was going to be another shoe that would drop. And there was a lack of leadership. You know, if you're fighting uh, an insurrection, you have to have leadership. Well, Christopher Wray in the FBI, Trump's appointee, he didn't say anything. So the FBI wasn't there. The Capitol Police chief resigned. The Metropolitan Police Department just complained about how things went. Where was the leadership? I mean, no leadership whatsoever. And then leadership started to emerge, and it emerged from two sectors. And this is what caused the paralysis to end. The capitalist corporations uh, who have lots of business ties with Trump and who were, you know, frankly, very, very, uh, you know, supported by Trump, the tax breaks, everything that Trump did for them, all the giveaways for the past four years, they're very grateful to Trump. And also um, all the deregulation that allowed polluters to pollute without, you know, having to do anything. I mean, matter of fact, it was incentivizing pollution. They were all for Trump, but they started to circle the wagons and they started to say, wait, this is going to be bad for business. This is bad for America. This is bad for the image of America. Uh, so they started to cut ties. Deutsche Bank and Signature Bank, the two banks that were, the two banks that still did business with Donald Trump, uh, they uh, Deutsche Bank gave Trump two point one billion dollars when he had gone bankrupt three times. Uh, they said they're not going to loan Trump anything anymore. So that started to happen. But then this remarkable letter was sent on January twelfth by the chairman and all generals on the Joint Chiefs of Staff of the Pentagon 
It's a remarkable letter. It's to 1.3 million members of the U.S. military. And I want to read a couple sentences to you because it basically says uh, what happened at the Capitol was an act of sedition and insurrection. Uh, it was a violent riot. It says it was a violent riot that was a direct assault on the U.S. Congress, the Capitol building, and our constitutional pro process. Uh, it said that Joe Biden is, in fact, the president-elect, and he will be inaugurated uh, as the 46th commander-in-chief. And it reminds all the members of the military that it not only is it a violation of their tradition, their, their oath, their values, I'm using air quotes, uh, <laughs> but it was, uh, it's a violation of the law. And so the Joint Chiefs of Staff united uh, against the insurrection and warned the members of the military, you will be punished. You will be held criminally culpable if you participate or continue to participate in this. And that's the thing about American politics. The military always dominates. If the Pentagon starts to speak, you find the, the weak-hearted Congress people and others in the media start to find their backbone. Uh, I'm always reminded of the fact that uh, this is probably too old of a historical anecdote for many of our listeners to, to know about. But just to say it, there was almost a, a, a crisis in power in 1952 between when Douglas MacArthur, who was the commander of U.S. forces in Korea, wanted to expand the war when the U.S. was losing the war in Korea by dropping nuclear bombs on China and by invading China. And uh, Truman was like, no. Truman was already highly unpopular because of the war. Nobody really liked the Korean War. It's just that if you opposed the war, you'd be labeled a communist and go to prison. So there wasn't a big anti-war movement, but people hated that war. And uh, Truman wanted to get rid of MacArthur. And he finally is extolled in history for being this great, strong leader who fired Douglas MacArthur. Uh, and MacArthur had big parades for him in New York and elsewhere. But what's not remembered is that Truman first got the approval of all of the Joint Chiefs of Staff before he fired MacArthur. And once they gave their approval, then they got the green light. And that's what I think happened here. The military, which obviously parts of the military were in this, were colluding in this. Uh, parts of the Defense Sec uh, Department were colluding with this. Uh, that's why the, the 10 secretaries of defense, including Rumsfeld and Cheney, issued that extraordinary message on January 3rd, saying to the military and to Christopher Miller, don't you dare use the military to interfere in the election outcome. That was just a week before. So when the military finally said, okay, we don't know how deep and how far within our own ranks this goes, but we're going to put an end to it, they spoke. And then all of the ruling class factions coalesced, the paralysis ended, and now you see, and on that same day, the FBI announced that they're going after the attackers with sedition charges. Sedition carries 20 years in prison. So I think it took a week for the ruling class in America to be able to get it together to use this vast power that it uses against other countries routinely to use against right-wing fascists who attack directly the American government. Right. Um, and so we, you know, the other interesting thing about that message from the uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff is that, uh, you know, it, partially it was them 
of course, giving their leadership to the rest of the establishment and in the empire, that leadership flows from the Pentagon and the military industrial complex, who did come out and finally show leadership and, and sprung the national security state and Congress and such into action. Um, but they also probably wouldn't have released such a strong statement directed at members of the military if they didn't believe there were actually some rumblings within the military of participating in such an action that would overturn the election results. Um, but that's a, a, another conversation. I, I want to move on in the short time we have to, um, you know, what you ended saying that now the FBI has is very uh, aggressively investigating uh people for sedition and conspiracy, which carries 20 years, as you said. Right now, all of the frontline fighters are being rounded up um, and, and, and will most likely be charged with sedition. You know, hundreds of arrests of the people who were the uh, the fighters on the front lines, the people breaking through into the Capitol and so forth, uh, the people that uh, presumably conspired together. Um, and of course, it, you know, it makes sense that the FBI would first go after these low level people and then work their way up the chain. Uh, you know, it, it's of course, if we know this was an inside job and there were these high level uh, conspirators that, you know, they wanted people to be able to break into the Capitol to overturn the election results, but they needed people to actually do that. You know, most of that crowd at that rally, you know, just MAGA uh, chuds, as they're known, um, you know, but then there was the coordinated organized sector of that demonstration, which may have been a, a smaller number, you know, they were, you know, especially like the Proud Boys, Oath Keepers and the militia types who were, it seems, given reconnaissance tours by members of Congress who were in on the conspiracy so that they would know what to do once they broke through. And so the the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers, their job was to break through into the Capitol. And that was made easier by those aiding them in different police and, and intelligence agencies. But uh, the big question, I think, is, you know, we know that these hundreds of frontline rioters are being arrested and could like very likely be charged with, with sedition. I've watched some mainstream media coverage. That seems to be really the only thing they're focusing on is these frontline fighters. Um, but the big question is, once the FBI starts working their way up the chain, and I think there's evidence now that at least 50 elected and public officials are under investigation in this FBI investigation. Um, do you think it's possible that certain GOP members of Congress, maybe even the Secretary of Defense, and the biggest question, Trump, uh, be charged with sedition? I mean, if Trump gets charged with sedition and he gets sentenced to maybe even half that sentence, 10 years, I mean, Trump could live the rest of his life in prison. I mean, I think everyone thinks that's probably an extreme outcome. Like the system would never go this extreme against a U.S. president. Someone like Trump would get away with everything. They'd never do this uh, to one of their own as much as they may hate Trump right now. Do you think that it's a possibility that these people could go down and Trump could go down as well? Yes, I definitely do. If we think about what actually happened. Sorry to stop it here, Empire Babies, but if you want to hear more, you can find the full episode at patreon.com slash empirefiles. All of our work from this new podcast to our YouTube videos are 100% funded by your Patreon donations, so we hope you join us there. Any tier gets access to this regular podcast, but if you sign up at the $5 or higher levels, you also get access to our patron-only live stream videos and some other perks. Thanks so much for listening.